You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. As I was listening to uh, sing that hymn, uh, I realize you're in for a bargain today because you're actually getting two sermons for the price of one. Uh, that hymn alone is a sermon in and of itself. Uh, if you've been paying attention to the news this week, you know that Washington is a little stirred up uh, in the fact that there was an anonymous op-ed piece that appeared in the New York Times, uh, very critical of President Trump and his administration, appearing to have been written by an insider. Uh, since that article appeared, uh, President Trump has taken to Twitter to respond, and many of his senior advisors have made public statements uh, to distance themselves uh, from possibly even being considered uh, as an author of the editorial. Uh, but I can't help but wonder if in conversations we might have this coming week, the question could come up is, well, how are Christians supposed to respond uh, to those that are over them? How are we supposed to respond to government uh, and things going on there? How are we to respond to people in the workplace that are over us? Uh, is there anything that should mark how a Christian lives out their faith in this world? Uh, and as you come to the heart of Peter's first letter, from chapter 2, 11 through 4, 11, that's the question that Peter keeps answering. What does Christianity look like in the real world? Uh, I was reading recently a book called uh, Evangelism uh, in the Age of Skepticism. Uh, and in there, the author mentions the fact that what people are looking for today, uh, which is very different from maybe previous generations, is not first for you to give them answers or facts, but what they're looking for is first authenticity. And I think there's something to that, that the, the facts and information and doctrine is critical, but, but we must precede that by showing them what does an authentic Christian life look like? Uh, so I want to direct you to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 13 through uh, basically 21 this morning. Uh, we've established the parameters that all of this is possible because of what Christ has done for us, the example of Christ. But if you were to kind of glance quickly at chapter 2, verses 13 through the first seven verses of chapter 3, you discover that Peter zeroes in on three key relationships in society. Two of those we'll look at today. He's going to talk about the relationship to the state, or civil leaders, magistrates, and then he'll talk about the relationships of slaves to their masters, and then next week, we'll look at how he speaks about the relationship uh, to our spouses and, and why that is critical in living out our faith in the real world. But let me read verse 13 once again to set the stage for this discussion about the Christian and government and civil leaders. Verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. 
as a follower of Christ, you have two addresses. And so this is what Peter puts before them. You have two addresses if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'm borrowing some of this from kind of the concept Martin Luther presented, that Christians live in two kingdoms at the same time. In other words, our first address primarily and ultimately is a spiritual kingdom. Uh, you as a follower of Christ are a member of the kingdom of God. And that's a kingdom that exists presently. Uh, he reigns and rules in our hearts. That's why we refer to him as our Savior and our Lord. And that kingdom will one day become a visible, physical kingdom that will fill all heaven and earth. But your first address is, you are now a member of the kingdom of God. And you see that in verse 13, where, where Peter gives you the proper perspective on human leaders and government. Submit to them for the Lord's sake. What is Peter acknowledging just by that phrase? That, that God is absolutely sovereign over all things. So we are to submit, as we'll see, which means to place oneself willingly under because we ultimately recognize the absolute sovereignty of God. Once again, keep in mind how Peter's audience and hearers, what the government was like that they were living under. The government of Rome. Uh, clearly there was already persecution of believers, not completely widespread as it would be in a few years, but, but it was happening. And here Peter is saying to them, don't group together, gather your resources and revolt, uh, but submit to these earthly leaders for the Lord's sake. Very powerful admonition to give them. I think in some ways a very hard admonition for Peter to give. He, he knew what the Roman Empire was looking like. And then when you stop to weigh the fact that Peter himself is going to be eventually martyred under the authority of Rome. And so I think we see him living out his faith here, ultimately not knowing that would happen to him at this point in his life. But I don't doubt when the moment came that Peter did not plead for his life. The only thing we're told outside of Scripture is his one request is that he would have been, uh, wanted to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel he was worthy enough to be crucified in the manner of Christ. But as you kind of look at this scene, no wonder that we are reminded that your first address is a spiritual kingdom because we are to see ourselves as aliens and strangers in this world. Paul would say almost the same thing in writing to the believers in Philippi, book of Philippians. He says, remember that you are citizens in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. Now, Paul, we know, was a Roman citizen. He, he could brag, not just that he was a Roman citizen, but he didn't buy his citizenship. He didn't get it through a family member in that they did something phenomenal, but he was born a Roman citizen. And Paul kind of says, as great as that citizenship is, it, it's nothing compared to the fact that I am a citizen of heaven. I am in this spiritual kingdom. And Peter has already sort of reminded us of the greatness of our salvation in the very beginning of the letter. 
So rather than continue to talk about that, he turns our attention to how do you live out your faith in the second kingdom that we belong to? That is the kingdom of this world, where we will spend a majority, at least in this life of our years, interacting with others. How do we live out our faith? How do we show a genuine Christian faith in that kingdom? Well, notice again, verse 13, the first word, submit. This has taken on a very negative meaning in our culture today. Uh, there are some people who, when they're preparing for their wedding ceremony, don't want certain passages read that use the word submit because they've adopted our cultural understanding that that means it's a very oppressive thing, demeaning thing. But the word itself means to willingly place yourself under. So Peter's moving here. This is an act of obedience to God who is our king, who we do bow down and worship. But in looking at this, notice that the, the command in one sense is very broad and very general. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Now, why would this statement be so broad and so general? I mean, why didn't Peter just say, submit to Nero? Well, I think you can kind of realize the issue there by it being so broad in general, and yet his hearers would know and plug in the names there, that this makes it applicable to every Christian in every age under any possible form of government. So it's not limited to the first century to if you have someone like Nero or named Nero, that this is relevant to all of us in Christ. This is if Peter was speaking directly to us and saying, you know what you need in the 21st century to live out your faith in an authentic way? You need to know what it means to submit to every human authority over you. Uh, probably even a more accurate way to read this is not so much every human authority, but every creation. In other words, if God created everything, then submitting to the different parts and order of creation is submitting to his lordship, to his reign. And you notice he does get a little bit more specific. He says, submit to the king in verse 13. In verse 14, he says, also submit to governors. And this is a reminder to us, the king is the equivalent of emperor. If you think in Peter's day, the average citizen did not have much interaction with Nero. I mean, they knew who Nero was. You would, if you had any question, you could look at the coins that he issued, and his name would be stamped there. But the reality was, as an average citizen, you, you did not interact with Nero, but you might more likely interact with governors, with proconsuls, with those who are over specific provinces. And I'm imagining the same is true for you and for me. Uh, you probably are not going to interact with President Trump this week or someone else in a Washington official position. But might you have to interact with someone in your community who's in leadership? Might you have to interact in the workplace with someone who is over you, has responsibilities that, that affect you? Absolutely. 
And so you see Peter's scope here is to say, you know, even if you said, well, I don't have any interaction with Nero, you're, you're not exempt from this because there are people that you will have to interact with. And this is a part of, of how do we live out our faith as a Christian? Do, do we just jump on the bandwagon of everyone who is critical of all kinds of authority? Uh, we already know that uh, living in a postmodern world, that is one of the marks of a postmodern world. We question authority. People grow up questioning authority. I read a, a, a piece this week by a professor at Yale University, uh, and it was talking about what freshmen are not told as they enter college, and he was trying to be helpful, but one of his comments was simply, as much and as impressive as your professor is, no matter what they've written, no matter what degrees they have, basically realize they, they could very well not know anything that they're talking about. In other words, this thought, just question everything. Now, we need to be thinkers as Christians, and Peter is not saying don't think, but he's saying realize when it comes to our response to the world around us, that it reflects, it, there is a reflection on our obedience to God by how we respond to the state, to civil leaders and magistrates over us. Whether it be an emperor, a president, a selectman, whatever you want to plug in there, that these are positions that God has placed people in. But continuing with this thought, we know as well in verse 14, Peter does something that Paul also does in Romans 13. He gives you what are the two primary purposes for these leaders and legislators and for government as God designed it. So you notice verse 14 tells us, removing any kind of political alliances in this, what are they accountable to God for? Well, one is to punish those who do wrong, and the second is to commend those who do right. In other words, God has placed them there to punish wrongdoers, and then to promote and create an environment of safety, protection, uh, blessedness for those who are obedient to the law. So I'm assuming if you left church this morning and you're riding down Route 4, you happen to notice in your rearview mirror a local police car behind you. I'm assuming maybe you would make sure you're doing the speed limit. Uh, I don't think any of you would suddenly be filled with fear and be looking at how can I get away. Now notice the difference though. If you were guilty of something, you were driving a stolen vehicle and you saw that police car, would your response be much differently? Yes, there's a fear you would have because you know you've done something that is punishable. And it's interesting that both Peter and Paul talk about the government in Rome as saying, you know what, even though this government is, is wicked, and we can certainly look at it from the perspective of history and see the atrocities that were committed, uh, the sin that was promoted. At the same time, still the reminder, submit to these rulers as unto God. And yet both of those individuals would end up being martyred under the very authority that they are saying we need to submit to God in. 
And why? Because they ultimately knew they were, they were more than citizens or members of the Roman Empire. They were citizens of heaven. But why is it God's will, not, not just God's hope, but God's will that as believers, we be model citizens? Well, if you look at verses 15 through 17, we're given the reason why this is so important, that our reputation, our example, as followers of Christ. And so notice in verse 15, he says, this is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. We know criticism is going to come against the church. Criticism is going to come against you as a Christian. We can't prevent that criticism, even to the best of our abilities. But living a godly life, doing what is good, because we are in the kingdom of God, should literally help muzzle some of that unjust criticism. That's a good motivation for us. And why would that be important? Because if they're criticizing us as Christians, who are we to be reflecting? Christ. So it, it's his honor that we are seeking to maintain, not our reputation. But then notice as well in verse 16, by living and submitting to the leaders that are over us, we're taking that freedom that is ours in Christ, which we've been looking at in Galatians, and we are using that to live as servants of God. So no matter what president we find ourselves under, no matter what our local selectmen are doing or not doing, here's an opportunity for us to show that we are living as servants of God. And then you go to verse 17, and, and Peter gets a little more specific. Well, what does that look like then, to, to do what is good, uh, to be a servant of God? Well, first show proper respect. And I think we've all probably seen over the past, I think probably a couple presidential terms, that many would say the, the office has lost the sense of dignity or respect that people generally, typically used to just give it. You may not agree with the president, but you didn't necessarily personally attack whoever the president was because we understood there was a dignity and an honor to the office itself. And I think as Christians, we can get so caught up in the critical spirit that is in our world, not just to, to politics and government, to, but to other things going on in our lives. And what we need to remember is right, was God is sovereign, he holds these people accountable to promoting what is good and to punishing what is evil. That, that we should give them, irregardless of, of who they are, a sense of respect and honor because they are serving where God has put them. And God's knowledge and wisdom is much greater than ours. Doesn't mean we cannot have our own maybe differences of opinion or conviction, but when all is said and done, we, we show them the proper respect. And this was something in the very early church, when I've mentioned emperors like Nero and other leaders after him, which sticks out when you sometimes read some of the correspondence of the early church fathers telling Christians, pray that God would bless this emperor. Because many were thinking, well, why would you pray that? You know, shouldn't you just pray God's judgment on them? 
that, that's authentic Christianity. Let, let's deal with this the way God says we should. So show them respect. Then notice the next one in verse 17. Uh, love the brotherhood. And the brotherhood would be, again, focusing now on the community with, with others in Christ. Uh, that that is to be evident in our lives. Uh, and then finally, the third, notice the, the language here. Fear God, honor the king. What would change if you said, fear God and fear the king? That makes a big difference. Nowhere in scripture does it say that we are to fear earthly powers. We are only to fear him to whom the soul must give an account, which is God. And I think this is very deliberate how Peter puts this. Yeah, pay respect to Nero, to the king, to the emperor, to the president. But when it comes to fear, oh, fear God. Walk in reverence with God. Realize that these others are here just by God's purpose and intent, but they're not God. And that probably brings you to the thought, as you think about this, in Scripture there is a contingency clause here. And the contingency clause is if that particular leader, by obedience to that leader, puts you on a path to direct disobedience to God, then you are to give your allegiance to God. Surrender yourself to Him. And we know that the same apostle who's writing these words in Acts 4, he and John are taken by the Sanhedrin because of their speaking of who Christ is, the miracles they're performing. Uh, the Sanhedrin threatens them to just keep this on the, the down low. Don't talk about this. And they say, look, we, we cannot obey you over God. I mean, which would make more sense, to listen to you or to listen to God? And I think as we say that contingency clause, what Scripture does have there, we realize that there are very limited situations that fit that. And so we fall under the category of most of Peter's audience. Submit to the authorities over you. Do good, because you ultimately are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But you notice in verses 18 through 21, we move to a second category. And we're, we're moving off of dealing with the state to now the issue of slaves and how slaves respond to their master. Uh, and in verse 18, the word slaves literally is household servants. Uh, and, and Peter seems to be making a connection here that there's something similar about slaves and masters and Christians in the world. So they both tend to be groups, I think, associated, at least in the first century, with slaves. Very low standing. Um, that they, as well, are the most vulnerable groups in that day and age. So what would be the parallel between bringing up how slaves respond to their masters and the thought that now, as a follower of Christ, how you respond to those who are over you. And I think in particular now, not in the realm of the state, but how do we respond to those who are over us in the workplace? 
Now, this isn't saying, well, you should look at your, you know, your work at Tuck or Dartmouth or whatever as a slavery. Uh, but the reality is, is there a parallel here that, that Peter's identifying for us? And I, I believe there is. Notice in verse 18, very similar, submit yourselves, same word, willingly place yourself under, to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, if you start to look at this, we see that, first of all, slavery in the Roman Empire in the first century is, is not the equivalent of slavery in American history. Uh, to give you an idea of that, it's estimated that one out of every four people in the Roman Empire was a slave. So you're talking about a, a big percentage of the people were employed in other households and it gave them protection, uh, gave them a means of consistent income and provision for their needs. Uh, in fact, for some of these who, who eventually might purchase their freedom, they ran into the difficulty of finding a means to support themselves. So the reality is those are two very different types of slavery. And in fact, as Paul will mention them here, he's even elevating their status above what the culture would say. So in the Roman Empire, a slave, whoever your master was, you were to automatically adopt the beliefs and gods of your master. There was no room for you to hold your separate convictions. Notice it's very different here. You have a Christian slave who is to serve Christ by serving his or her master. So as you kind of look at this scene, notice again the importance of respect. Give them the reverence that they deserve based on God has put you in that place, in that situation, in this time to, to serve him in some way. Now that would be hard enough to hear, but we might be thinking, okay, Peter, I know where you're going to go with this, as long as they're nice to us. As, as long as they're friendly, as long as we get along with them, let us demonstrate Christ before them. But notice Peter adds, whether they're good or they're harsh. So suddenly we're moved out of the, the circumstances exactly. It said, this is the reality. You live out your faith in those things. And I need to tell you, because most of you have probably worked in places where there's someone, maybe a supervisor, a boss, that just makes your life very difficult. And in the midst of that situation, you have been forced to rely upon God in a way that you hadn't before. Because it's easy to go to work when you get along with everyone. It's a blessing when you go and you have a supervisor or a boss who is just friendly and upbeat and whatever. But what if that's not the case? Peter says, you, as a follower of Christ, need to look at how do you respond to those over you in the workplace. This brings the gospel, brings Christianity right, right into our laps. You know, how, how does this look? And so he goes on in verse 19 and 20 to speak of our attitude in the midst of that, never implying it's easy, never saying this is something that will just come naturally, 
But notice in verse 19, it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And I like those two phrases. One is you are conscious of God. To, to keep God before you. Not, not just when you're in worship. That's, that's a little bit easier to do. Everyone else is kind of thinking the same thing, hopefully. But, but what about in your day-to-day -day activities? And even if you're already retired, this still applies to you. You, you still live in a world where, where somehow you're answerable to other people. You have interaction with others in your community. How do we demonstrate that in all of that, we're, we're conscious of God. We're, we're thinking about God. We're thinking about how God works in this world. And that anyone who is in our life is there for, for this time by God's design. Now, it may not mean that you, if you're in a job where it's very overwhelming, it does not mean that you have to stay there for life. But, but as long as God has you there until he leads you somewhere else, are you conscious of God in the midst of that? And then the other phrase there is interesting, uh, that by enduring difficulties, by not seeking to be a stumbling block, by keeping yourself right before God in the midst of this, that you are commendable to God. Notice he doesn't say you're commendable to the supervisor over you. Uh, you'll win the approval of Nero. He'll finally come around and say, wow, you're such a great citizen. But, but no, you'll be commendable to God. You'll be seen as favorable and delightful in God's eyes. Why? Not because you changed your circumstances, but because you yourself have been transformed in the midst of those difficult circumstances. And then it all comes back in verses 21 through 25, example of Christ. Christ set an example for us that in obedience to God, we, we willingly will surrender, we willingly will endure difficult circumstances, difficult people, in our confident trust and hope in the one who judges all things perfectly. So Peter does not run to Twitter to complain about this situation to his audience. He doesn't write some article in the Roman Gazette to get the word out. He simply listens to God and speaks for God and says, as followers of Christ, this is how Christianity looks in the real world. And that is definitely not just what we need as other Christians to encourage us in the faith, but it's absolutely what those who don't know Christ need to see. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that the scriptures reveal to us the world as it is. And in the midst of that, we have the challenge before us to live and reflect Christ. And so if we're finding in any way that, well, this is hard, or we find ourselves wanting to make an excuse and saying, well, you don't understand, God, uh, who my boss is, or you don't understand uh, what, what's going on in my world, may we pause to think about the fact that you are a king, that you are omniscient, 
So there's nothing you do not know about our struggles, about our life. And so may we trust you this week in a way that reflects and shows the world what a Christian truly looks like. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.